Blog Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to Mamacrat's Mama Chat. I'm Donna Schwartz Mills, also known as SoCal Mom, and today we're going to chat with Cinematic, who has so many projects going, I don't know which ones to mention. Um, Sin, are you there? Hi, good morning everybody. Um, yeah, I, um, I'm in the, in the middle of launching, or testing rather, we're still tinkering with the website a little bit, but I am launching something called the K-12 News Network, and uh, K-12NN for short, um, and uh, you can find it at k12newsnetwork.com um, online, and we also have a Facebook page, uh, which if you belong to our Momocrats um, Facebook page, then you'll see that I posted up a link there um, just this past week. So um, basically, it's, it is what it sounds like. It's news about local, state, national news, international news about education, and um, ranging from everything from the uh, infamous PISA test, P-I-S-A, which is the um, kind of in, big international global test of 15-year-olds to see what they know in reading, writing, arithmetic, and so on and so forth. And um, it, just this past uh, couple of weeks, it, you know, scores were released, and uh, famously we came in middle of the pack, even though our students were most confident, ranked number one in confidence about their abilities. But uh, in measure of actual actual abilities, they came in, you know, 23rd, 26th, and um, Shanghai really kind of blew everyone away this time by being uh, number one. So that's what I've got going. But uh, this week um, we wanted to talk a little bit about what's happening in the in the House and the Senate. It's still really busy. It's a you know a, a lame duck Don't think people know we have holidays to prep for. <laughs> well, you I know, mean, I if this to... was like the busiest week I can remember. I I have to say, um, you know, on the one hand, I hand it. I, I hand it to the uh, the Democratic majorities that we still have, <laughs> technically until December 31, um, you know, in the, in the House and Senate. And so good for them that they're willing to push on through and get all this done. But on the other hand, uh, you kind of have to wonder, you know, some of the things that we're really pushing hard for now, uh, would they not have been better handled, you know, in September, in October, before the elections? You know, so there's a, a little bit of Monday morning quarterbacking there in terms of the strategy and the timing of all of this, which is why we have the crush we have now, right? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I is there a strategy? I mean, really? <laughs> I mean, oh, I mean, it's easy to see what the Republicans are doing. They just say no. Well, but, that's uh, easy. They have an yeah. easy uh, strategy. Yeah, when you're when you're blocking things, when you're just the troll sitting in the middle of the road, then um, you know that's the, how easy is that, right? Right. Um, well, I guess the big big thing is the tax cut deal. What is going to happen with the Bush tax cuts, which are due to expire December 31? And um, you know, right now um, they apply to everyone, and so there's been a lot of wrangling over. Um, who they should expire for and at what time. So my understanding, my latest understanding of the deal that uh, the White House kind of put together, they brokered something um, and presented it uh, to the Senate, is to have um, tax cuts uh, continue for people making 250000 or less 
And then a proposal to say that, well, up to a million dollars, let's say, of taxable household income, uh, you will continue to get for the next two years the same Bush tax cuts. And I forget what the right. rate is, but, you know, it's it's quite favorable. And it means, yeah. you know, 80000 150000 however much, you know, in your pocket if you're so lucky to be in that range of uh, right. taxable household income. So, um uh you know naturally many of us who look at our our ourselves our friends and neighbors um people we care about our relatives who are really struggling who may out of who may be out of work for a really really long time who may not have been able to get unemployment benefits <laughs> extended um you know people who are in really dire situations the ongoing foreclosure crisis right so we're all looking around and thinking wow tax cuts for millionaires and billionaires this is a big well, isn't bit just for my blood you know it's the estate tax it's the estate tax too yes and i think that's like you know a 5 million dollar upper limit with um the current rate i think is like 55% and then um it would drop to 35%, and right. it would just be, you know, untold billions that we would lose in federal revenue. Um, and, and someone pointed out, I believe it was the estimable Bernie Sanders, Senator Bernie Sanders pointed out that that really only affects like maybe 403 families in the United yeah. States who really kind of yeah. have a net worth that is in excess of, you know, $5 million that they would leave to their, as an estate to their children. So, you know, this is pretty rarefied error we're talking about. And, and I really um, haven't had a chance to look at the news this morning, so I don't know where we are on that, because I know that the House Democrats were really pushing back on um, on that as really unpalatable, um, you know. They were, but the latest talking points memo, I read something this Mm -hmm. morning that Mm -hmm. the writing, they see the writing on the wall, they know that they're just going to have to, they've been boxed in, basically. Yeah. They can protest all they want, it's theater. I think I saw that headline also, and so, you know, I mean, I think where it's difficult is that, um, you know, the 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 White House and Democrats in the House and Senate know that um, the hostages in this situation are the extension of unemployment benefits, and I think you know I remember reading a statistic saying that since <clears throat> since we've had unemployment, you know, uh, nearing nine or ten percent, you know, at the, at that height, we have always extended un, you know unemployment benefits, yeah. um, you know, when the the rate of unemployment is so high as it continues to be, and in some states even higher. So, um, you know, to not extend it is really just kind of unconscionable, especially you're looking at the holidays, you're looking at the winter time when people are really desperate to, you know, stay warm and yeah. stay fed, those kinds of really subsistence-type things. And so th- those are the folks who are kind of the hostages in this situation, and, um, you know, it's really kind of showing the colors of the GOP, in my opinion, that they are fighting so hard to give tax cuts to the rich and saying, well, we've got these poor folks here who, because of the bad economy, are out of luck. And, um, you know, we're going to hold them over the fire until you give us what we want. Um, Now, I I also heard, too, that the House Democrats were um, pushing back on the estate tax business a little bit in that 
uh, you know, maybe they would tweak a little some of the limits um, uh, in terms of the, the total value of the estate. But I had also kind of heard that uh, mutters about, well, you know, we're we're extending these Bush tax cuts for two years, so they'll come up again in 2012, which is right around the corner. But at the same time, uh, we're only getting 13 months of unemployment um, benefits yeah. extension. So I've I've heard some wrangling about possibly like, well, you know, we should get a one for one. You know, like let's let's see if we can get a longer term. You know, so that if we need to renew again, we're not going to go through this whole business all over again. You know. Yeah. Well. I, I, you know, today in Huffington Post, mm-hmm. Howard Feynman made a point, and mm-hmm. I, you know, he said that uh, the fact that the unemployment extension is being touted by the White House as a major get is mm-hmm. a sad commentary on how far to the right our politics is now moving. No matter how yeah. many times Tea Party calls Obama a socialist, right? Um, I, I it's, agree. It's it's depressing. It really is depressing, and it's really depressing that, you know, we all saw this coming. <laughs> Many, well, mm-hmm. political junkies saw this coming. We tried to sound the warning. We tried to really get out the vote. Um, goodness knows the White House really tried to get out the vote because they knew what was at stake. Yeah. They, you know, saw all this coming, too. Everyone saw this coming, and yet, you know, substantial numbers of people who needed to vote sat at home, and so this is the yeah. consequence. There's, you know, a consequence, yeah. and we, I think we on the left side of the aisle can be much better about educating folks that, you know what, every single election counts, every single one. doesn't matter if it's dog catcher, school board, <laughs> you know, midterm election, and, and you know what, excitement, enthusiasm has nothing to do with it. You better get your butt out there and vote. So, yeah. you know, that's kind of the big lesson that I think we all took away is – Enthusiasm gaps, screw enthusiasm. You get out there, you do it. You know, you make yourself heard. Otherwise, we get this. We get this. I just thought we learned that lesson during the Bush years. I thought we did too, but apparently not. <laughs> oh goodness. <laughs> well, I, that wrangling continues to go on. I guess there's also the other big news is the uh, the federal judge in Virginia. Um, yeah, you want to talk about that a little bit because I I know that's been hot on our Facebook page as well, our Momocrats Facebook page. Well, you know, obviously, you know, it, it's been all over the news. This one judge in Virginia has overturned, or 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 has said that the individual mandate for health insurance is unconstitutional. Um, but that's just one judge. And I was reading today, gosh, where did I read it? Was it Politico or there was there was a, a, a piece today that said that even conservatives are saying that this judge, who has ties to the healthcare industry, by the way, uh-huh. um, he used faulty logic. Yeah. And I, that, seen did you read too. that one? I think yeah, there's, like a key, there's a key passage which gets really technical, but, you know, from yeah. my non-sort of lawyer brain, what I could decipher is that he basically used a tautology to prove what he wanted to prove. So, And first of all, he's not disinterested because he owns a, a stake in a, you know, GOP political consulting firm, which I think you mentioned, you know, had some dealings trying to get, you know, to thwart uh, healthcare reform and so on and so forth, right? So it's, I mean, obviously a very partisan, very interested as uh, as opposed to disinterested kind of um, outfits, 
So, um, so there's that. And this guy is such a political animal. He was so exactly. known for being so ideological before he became a judge. Exactly. I mean, he was part of the whole Ed Meese, you know, pornography commission, which was a tremendous waste of time because, you know, what came of that? I don't know if anyone remembers that, but that was what, back in the 80s or 90s? Maybe late 80s, early 90s? Yeah, I'm old and, enough to remember that. Well, I am too, strangely. <laughs> But anyway, um, you know, so he, he's been a long-time sort of pro- yeah. ideologue, um, right-wing ideologue, and, and so it's no surprise that he ruled in the way that he did. But I think what conservative uh, legal scholars were surprised at was that he didn't even seem to bother to construct a sturdy excuse or a, at least a sort of sturdy-looking excuse. He just used, like, this sort of flimsy tautology that everyone is sort of looking through and saying, you know, I can put my hand right through this. There's a, you know, a hole wide enough to drive a truck through. So um, it seems like... I know. I really off. wanted to have Joanne or, or Steph oh, or Lena on hand to explain that one to me because it got very, very technical. So right. I was in Talking Points Memo. I just found it. I am posting it to the Obamacrats webpage. That's great. A Facebook page so people can read the article themselves and, yes. and maybe explain the finer points to me in language I understand. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it seems like, I mean, I know three federal judges at this point have made rulings. Two of those were it's constitutional, and I think it has to do with the Commerce Clause and um, a few other, you know, finer points of constitutional law, which, again, like I don't follow super closely, but you know, that's sort of my general gist of it. And so those two federal judges saw nothing wrong with it. I think the analogy that's often made is that, well, the state can compel you to purchase um, car insurance if you drive a car. Now, there are problems with that analogy because not everyone has to own a car, but everyone owns a body and that body will fail at some point and you will have some sort of health issue that needs dealing with. So, um, you know, the analogy doesn't hold 100%, but, um, and, you know, there are other reasons too why it doesn't hold 100%, but, I mean, I think the general idea is that, you know, the federal government does all kinds of things. It compels you in all kinds of ways to do things that you might not ordinarily want to do, but, you know, um, that's part of the the agreement that we have with government that we participate in certain ways or that we yield, you know, the absolute freedom to do whatever the heck we want. And, you know, we yield some of that absolute freedom and, you know, do things that, like right. jury duty. <laughs> jury duty. Right, well, I also saw yeah. a, a precedent that goes back to the 18th century. Mm-hmm. You know, shortly, you know, right when the Constitution had been adopted. You know, mm-hmm. Tea Party people want to go back to, to uh, colonial days. Mm-hmm. Um, and that in order to keep a militia, families were required, federal government required families to have a firearm in the house. Right. Even if they didn't want to own a gun. Right. So, I mean, there's definitely precedent for a federal mandate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, that's uh, that's going to be an ongoing battle. I th- I can tell that the conservatives are just sporting for you know Supreme Court, Supreme Court because they think that the court is stacked and unfortunately it is uncomfortably you know uh-huh. conservative at this point. Um, but I think you know there is a glimmer of hope in that the legal scholar, conservative legal scholars are 
even scratching their heads at um, Hudson. <laughs> is that is that the federal judge in Virginia? Yes. Um, at yeah. his uh, at his ruling, and you know, and I think you know what I'm reading is that the my take on it is that the conservative legal scholars are kind of like, hey, you know, you kind of let us down because, yeah, we want to push our political point, but you didn't even do, like, a good job. You did sort of a flimsy job of, you know, erecting a rationale that the rest of us can get behind, right? So, like, they're sort of disappointed almost that that this thing, you know, is so flimsy. And I I tend to think, and here's my crystal ball (laughs) and my unfair (laughs) psychoanalysis, but I tend to think that Hudson knows that it's a losing cause to try to say that it, you know, it's unconstitutional for the federal government to have this individual mandate to purchase uh, health insurance. And so I think that's why he just did this like little kind of off the cuff flimsy reasoning because he knew he kind of kicked the can down the road. That's right. my that's my thought on it. You know, he he did what he did as an ideologue to toe the ideological line, but then, you know, kind of deep down within, he sort of knew that you know, the reasoning is flimsy. And so he didn't really bother to construct an elaborate, you know, defense around his well, point. I have a feeling that there are plenty of other zealot judges who will be able to crack at it and do a yeah. better job. It's part of the Bush legacy. It's amazing uh-huh. how much damage he did in 10 years, isn't it? <laughs> well, you know, years. it's also just so sad that so few of the Obama nominations have even been... Got have even gotten past committee. Oh, I know, and you that's on purpose. That's completely on purpose. Yep, yep. Yeah, it's been yeah. so. This, the Republicans, and it's worked for them. That's the part that really kills me. Is yeah. that this obstructionism has worked yeah. for them. Well, and it's really just upsetting, uh, frustrating to no end to see that operating in bad faith is, you know, is effective. For them, yeah. because I think when the Democrats were a minority, you know, did they do these types of things? Yes, a little. to a certain degree, but not, you know, not to this degree, you know. Yeah. And it's like, okay, so, you know, it's a spiral downward, isn't it? It's a race to the bottom with you guys, because yeah. it's like if you don't fight dirty against the dirty fighters, then, you know, you yourself get reamed. And that just, you know, it's a vicious cycle downward. That's why I loved Bernie Sanders. I yes. love the Bernie Buster. Maybe it was theater. But, you know, maybe maybe nobody was listening except, you know, people that really cared. Uh-huh. But um I th- he was wonderful. He was yeah. incredible. You yeah. know, just, just I think he's my hero of the week. Well, yeah. That, yeah. And I felt that he did it because he wanted it in the record. He wanted in, in the record this giant summation of where we are economically, how we got here, and how it is that we're taking these steps to basically prolong the agony and or go in the wrong direction yet again. So yeah. thank goodness that someone said it. And yes, I recognize it was total kabuki theater and, you know, what really came of it. And, of course, the mainstream media did not – the corporate media did not, you know – Give it a so yeah. I'm sure Fox drink. News didn't even talk about it at all. Didn't even mention it. Well, I don't even think CNN or any of the other more mainstream <laughs> outlets, you know, gave it much of a a blank either. But but the thing is, it's just it's we've gotten to the point where we never hear the truth, and so to have someone speak what we what resonates within us is truth. Like we what we've all been thinking and wondering and saying and and screaming about. 
you know, is yeah. in some ways validating because it's like we are not crazy. We are not crazy. Yeah. Other people yeah. who know, who would know, see these things, you know? Yeah. Now, uh, for those of you who missed it, Sin has posted a link to the full 124-page transcript <laughs> over on um, over on our Facebook page. You know, if if one of us had some spare time, it might be nice to just sum that up. But well, gosh. I think um, William Rivers Pitt, who's over at Truth Out, and I think that was the link that I posted. He he actually mm-hmm. kind of did go through and annotate and say, well, I paid attention, you know, to the whole eight hours worth, and so here are the highlights as I saw them. Yeah. But he does, you know, make available the whole transcript just in case someone, oh, you know, has time over the holidays or you right. Know, Bernie was um, repeating himself because he knew the people yeah. would be flitting in and out, which is what, yeah. what I didn't, you know. So, yeah. you know, I don't think you need to read the whole 124 pages to get the gist of it. Right, right, yeah. So, anyway, yeah. So should we move on to maybe some other really big events of the week? I know Death did it. Well, Richard there's one Cobra. bit of good news mm-hmm. that we yes, have, and that's yes. the child nutrition bill. That was like the yes. only upside this week. Yes, yes, yes. Um, I was so thrilled that that finally got signed. I think President Obama signed it on Monday. And you could tell that he was very happy to have signed it. And Michelle Obama, who was a tremendous advocate for it all along uh, and has been, you know, in her quiet, dignified way, speaking out in support of it all along, um, you could tell she was really happy to see it, too. And I think that um, there's some really, really good provisions in there, very good provisions in there. So, um, you know, there's some hope. Um, I think um, the farm-to-schools thing is, is really great, getting, you know, the freshest possible foods and, and a lot more produce on the menus of uh, children's school lunch menus is is great, you know. That's the kind of thing we should have been doing a long time ago when family farms were in trouble in the 80s. Wow, you know, what an amazing oh my goodness. thing. What been. a difference that would have made. Yes, what a difference that would have made, right? And Instead, so we got ketchup as a vegetable. Instead, we got Ronald Reagan and ketchup as a vegetable. So, you know, I, I'm just so grateful that it passed and, um, you know, the nutritional guidelines are a lot stricter now for child school lunches and... Um, we're going to be seeing a lot more um, sort of fresh-made things and also um, more produce, more fruit on the menu, and less of reliance on sort of the deep-fried chicken nuggety thing and all of that. So um, those are all... Maybe Jamie Oliver will try again to hit up LAUSD. uh, (laughs) You know, they refused to to let him in. I was like, no! I want him in our school. I know. I that wanted would be to awesome. I wanted to see him also. That would have been a lot of fun. Um, but, uh, yeah. Well, you know, I have to credit LAUSD, though. I think they um, – I don't know if it survived the budget cuts, but I know up until recently they had a school gardener, sort of master gardener on we staff. Did. Whose job and and around my and daughter's it's... elementary school had a garden, yeah. and they yeah. did used to do a salad bar and – you know, my daughter wouldn't touch it, but, you know, it was there. It was there. I think the important thing is that it's there, you know, and I think kids <clears throat> kids need a little pushing and prodding, sure, but, um, you know, at least, as Michelle Obama said in her uh, speech at the at the signing ceremony, she said at least, 
you know, we make these things available, and at least the school is not undoing whatever parents are trying to teach at home, right? So, yeah. And, and I really feel that strongly as someone who is a little bit of a food, you know, t- tyrant. <laughs> no, you? <laughs> yeah, I know. You know, anti-high fructose corn syrup, no refined white sugar person. But, um, yeah, I'm the anti-cupcake lady. <laughs> but anyway, I mean, I think uh, that is just a big, big step in and of itself, that we have schools, you know, trying to reinforce, you know, good habits uh, at school that we are trying to cultivate at home. Whereas a lot of times I would feel like, okay, I'm tr- I'm doing my best at home, but if my kid goes to school and all they have is, you know, sloppy pizza or whatever and, you know, fatty, greasy, whatever things with nary a green vegetable insight, then, you know, what is – what you were working at cross purposes here, so to take that yeah. away is is a good thing, and to get everyone kind of oriented on a good path is a good thing. And and I'm glad that these things are going to be these meals are going to be more nutritionally rich because as we know, um, there are so many children in poverty right now that you know they're really in these very um, food insecure situations, both at home and you know sometimes at school. So. The yeah. schools have to step in, and, and that breakfast or that lunch might be sort of the only good meals that a kid gets in the day, which is a horrifying thought. But thank and goodness it that, that they have at least that. a huge difference. A hungry yeah. child can't learn. Yeah. I mean, that was something, you know, when I was working at my daughter's school, you know, during the testing, you know, we have to have our state-mandated testing. Mm-hmm. And the school realized that, you know, these kids, if they're hungry, they're not going to be able to take the test. They're not going to be able to focus. And so the PTA, you know, raised money and and made an effort to make sure that there were snacks in all the classrooms before the kids took the test. That was part of the strategy to get the test scores up, was to feed those kids before they took the test. Yes, absolutely. Yep, yep. Yeah, because, you know, um, hopefully – None of us have had the sensation of being extremely hungry and unable, unable to think. But you know, I you I mean, you look at say a, a group of six adults, you know, all going out to dinner, and if their dinner reservation gets postponed by an hour or more, you know, you get some pretty angry, grumpy people, and those are adults. So think about children unable to function, you know, if there's not enough in their stomachs. So yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, so I guess we have time for like one last big topic and maybe that should be WikiLeaks. That's a huge <laughs> thing that's happened globally and like everyone has been reading the um, these released diplomatic cables uh, which were, some were classified I suppose, but some were just you know, not made public. Um, you and know, I, I, I just you know, it's Part of me agrees with Michael Moore that transparency, yes, we want to know this. This could have prevented going into Iraq if, if we'd all known the truth. Mm-hmm. And then part of me is just pissed off because you can't really do diplomacy out in public. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, well, and I, I just yeah, feel there, that um, I just, I mean, I have a strong investment in diplomacy working because. I'm a pacifist. <laughs> yes. And as someone who believes that war should be the absolute last 
solution, you know, you you kind of have to put your faith in talking and working it out, actually working. And so, uh, you know, wanting to protect that process, which sometimes involves, you know, needing to be discreet, um, not, you know, saying every last piece of information that you know publicly or even in talks with other people, you know. I mean, yeah. um, diplomacy seems it seems to be about achieving political ends with partial truths. I mean, that's just the fact of diplomacy, but it's so much better than people being bombed and killed. So yeah. part of me is very much, you know, protective of that process, but I understand also that, you know, national security, and we've had, you know, eight solid years of this, if not two extra more under President Obama, but national security can be used as a bludgeon to sort of, you know, pummel us all into submission and and give uh, too wide a latitude to the to the government in terms of what it, the information it seeks and then the information that it chooses to hide you know so uh transparency yeah pretty tricky thing very tricky thing um i'm i i, I don't i think that many people are are thinking that um as a as a gesture it was uh, important to show that you know governments are not um, able to kind of operate in the same way now that we're in this sort of digital age, that there are vulnerabilities. It is sort of a leaky form of communicating. But at the same yeah. time, I think, you know, Julian Assange, he's he's sort of a controversial figure. I don't know that he's necessarily the heroic, you know, free speech. <laughs> and he wants to present himself as, you know, um, yeah, it, it's yeah, it's freedom tricky. fighter. Yeah, very tricky. He he personally, I mean. So, um, you know, I I think that you can stand for certain principles of, of free speech, balanced by you know the need to be discreet and protect national security without kind of saying I'm a huge fan of Julian Assange. <laughs> you know, yeah. I think people are a little hesitant to necessarily put put all of their eggs in his basket, his personal basket. So, yeah. Well, we'll see what happens. I mean, it's been very interesting. I posted something from the Guardian of UK um, where they did a roundup of, you know, international responses to, oh, this is what the Americans really think of us. Yeah. <laughs> and it ranged from insult to blasé, don't care, you know. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, wait till they turn in their secrets because <laughs> you don't think WikiLeaks is just going to stop with stuff from us. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyway. Well, well anyway, that's we... about all we have today. Yeah. <laughs> we we're doing a short show because there's just two of us. Sin, thank you so much for joining well, so me nice. on today's Mama Chat. It was my pleasure, and thank you. Um, I, there's so much more we could have discussed, but I really appreciate you setting up the show and hosting. Thanks. And we'll be doing this again next week, 9 o'clock a.m. Pacific Time. So please join us. And do check out the Mommacrats website at mommacrats.com. <laughs>